In the condemning message of Romans chapters 1:18 through 3:22, we are all guilty of a heinous crime before God. Our mouths are silenced as we face the truth about ourselves. We lie, curse, and destroy relationships. We deserve only one verdict: condemned. Does a dark spirit of condemnation ever assault your heart? The spirit of life wants to set you free from this law of sin and death, and Romans 8:1 and following is a certain cure. Listen as our study leader Dave Woodson begins one of the most comforting sections in Romans. Have any of you had a bad dream where you dream and it seems so real that you've done a heinous crime? Anybody ever have that dream? I have this dream every once in a while, and it's so vivid, it's so real, and I'm dreaming in color, and it's like I've done a heinous crime. You know, you go through all the things. You know, when you've done something really evil, you first of all cover it all up. So in my dream, I cover everything up, and I'm trying to deny it. There's even a part of my personality that says it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and I'm running away from the law, and then suddenly the law catches up with me. And in my dream, the law lays out this case, and sometimes it's so vivid. I'll be in the courtroom, and the prosecuting attorney is hammering at me, and I'm thinking, "Oh, good night, man! I'll never be able to pastor and love the Bible Church again, and my family's never going to love me again." Anybody ever had a dream like that? Do you remember how you felt when you woke up and you realized it was all a dream that you never did this heinous, heinous thing? This heinous crime—you really didn't do it. And man, sometimes when I've had that dream and I wake up, I, man, I just get out of the morning and I've got exhilarated joy that I can't believe it. It was just a dream. I'm really not condemned. I'm really not facing a life sentence, and I just feel released. Anybody ever have that kind of an experience? The Book of Romans wants you to have that experience only. The book of Romans wants you to realize that you don't wake up and realize that you're not condemned. In fact, the book of Romans wants you to wake up and realize that you are condemned. Every one of you in this room, the book of Romans starts out and it wants to tell you that we are facing the condemnation, the wrath of the ultimate judge of the universe. One of the one of the great tragedies of the American culture is we've lost. Any idea at all that there's a righteous, holy God that is the judge of the universe? For example, Martin Luther in the early 1500s was he was training to be a lawyer. Then he became a priest, and the law of God. As a lawyer, he was really into standards of of what's right, standards of what's pure. Standards of what's holy, and as a Roman Catholic priest, you know he he spent a lot of time in the Scripture and he studied God's law, and he read a law like "Thou shalt not covet," and he realized that tremendous coveting, even though he was a monk, you know, even teaching at at Wittenberg in the university, that that he still had desires. That were evil, and and he realized as a lawyer that these desires welling up inside of him that were so heinous. Have you ever had something that just wells up inside of you? You go, man, I just can't believe that where that came from. Or you suddenly wake up and realize that you've gone through 20 minutes of just thinking the most heinous, horrible, criminal kind of things. Martin Luther was smart enough to realize that that was a, that that 
those kinds of illicit desires, that, that passion was telling him that something was really wrong inside. And the tremendous moral law of God, the Mosaic law from the Old Testament, just crushed Martin Luther. And he got a hold of the book of Romans. As he was reading the book of Romans, he got a hold of the message. We started out in Romans where the wrath of God is presently being revealed against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men. That kind of teaching is almost absent from our culture today. But you're not going to really understand your relationship with God. You're not going to understand why God has done what he has done for you unless you begin with the message of Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.23 that just hammers us with, in the first chapter of Romans 1.18 and following, if you're just a pagan and you're just living for your illicit passions and you're involved in immoral sexual activity, you're involved in rebellion against authority, you're just a wild and woolly sinner... The Bible says in Romans 1.18 that you're, and following that you're just under this condemning wrath of God. All the religious people are looking at what you might call, you know, the Harley Davidson, you know, motorcycle club. And they're saying, man, get them, get them, get them, get them, Paul. But as we studied the book together, we found that in Romans chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul turned the tables. And he turned the tables on those that are religious. Some of you in this room are from a religious spiritual background. And, and you look at a Harley-Davidson motorcycle club and you see the girls in leather on the back and you see the drugs and you see the drinking and, and you cry out against it. You join all the conservative movements. But in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul does something that's really hard. He takes the spiritual MRI and he shows us our heart as religious moral people. And he shows us that the very things that we tell others that they shouldn't do As we look at what's going on inside our own heart, we find out that we're doing a lot of the things. That's what's happened with the moral majority. One of the major leaders of the moral majority is a friend of mine. And he wrote a lot of material years ago. And he he, was very strong on no abortion, faithfulness in marriage, being pure. While he was writing those materials, he was shacking up with with 25, 30 co-eds at the Christian University where he taught. And the unbelieving, my unbelieving friends find that out. And they go, this is horrible. It just shows you you're all a bunch of hypocrites. And what Paul says is, that's right. You are a bunch of hypocrites. We all are. Every single one of us in this room in our own strength, when we try to be religious, when we try to be moral, we end up having a good game on the outside And we fail inside. As we look at our inside, outside of Jesus, it's not really a very good picture. And that's why you come to the end of Romans chapter 2 and you move into the beginning of chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul takes one Old Testament passage after another. It says your tongue is like a serpent. Your heart is like a rotting sepulcher. I mean, he, he just heaps words to show us we stink within. It's like, you know, Lazarus, behold, he stinketh. And the Apostle Paul says, every one of us without Jesus are condemned and lost. One of the most important things you need to do in your life, grace enables you to get this spiritual MRI, this moral MRI, and not run away from it. One of the most important things I want you to learn from the book of Romans is to let the Spirit of God face you with what's really going on inside of you. Let the grace of God take away all the games, all the deception, and just leave you open and naked before him. Because that leads to some tremendous good news. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, that's the conclusion of Romans 1.18. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then Paul goes on and starts a major section with being justified freely by his grace. Being declared right with God by this incredible miracle. And this is that incredible good news. You realize, you wake up and realize, I'm condemned. I'm a sinner. And then you hear this incredible gift that the eternal judge of the universe wants to give you, and the Father and the Son say the Son has totally taken the punishment for you. On the cross of Calvary, he took all of your condemnation, all of your sin, all of your criminal activity before a righteous holy God, and he took it into himself. And then he took his righteous life. In the passage today in Romans 8, we're going to learn that the Lord Jesus became a human being just like you. He took on the same humanity that can be tempted and can be sucked into evil. And from the time he was a little boy, Jesus didn't give in to his sinful nature at all. We're going to talk about it. It's an incredible thing. Jesus is the only man that lived his whole life, and he won the wrestling match against evil. The serpent in the desert, in the wilderness, couldn't get him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the serpent couldn't strike him. He resists. He wins. He faces the heaviest blows that Satan can give him. And our Savior wins. And the incredible thing is that Jesus says, I'm going to come and live right inside of you. And that incredible, omnipotent power that enabled me in my humanity, in my true identity as a man, but also as the God-man, I'm going to live inside of you, and I'm going to give you the gift of my character, the gift of my righteousness And you're not condemned because you're so united with me that my Father looks at you through the incredible gift of what the Lord has given. That leads right into the heart of the book, which is Romans 6 tells you about joining Christ in his crucifixion, joining Christ in his resurrection. And spiritually, the Heavenly Father sees us just intimately, just one with Jesus, so much so that when Christ died, we died When Christ rose again, we rose again, and our baptism pictures all that. And then last week when we were together, we talked about Romans 7, where we're in this wrestling match. As we live in this present life, we still have this sinful nature. That's not our true identity anymore. But just like we have a physical body that's growing old and it's subject to disease, we also are still wrestling with this sinful nature, this Adamic part of us that we were born with. And it's a wrestling match taking place within The Apostle Paul pictures in Romans 7 that you've got a person, and he does the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. He pictures that there's a part of us which has become our true identity, and it's the Christ-like Dave. It's the Christ-like you. It's this new person you are in Christ, and you want to do what Christ wants you to do. He's changed your wants. He's changed your passion. There's a part of you that really wants to be what Jesus wants you to be. But there's another part of you that resists that, and the, the wrestling match goes back and forth. Last week I told you about being in the hands of that great big Delaware discus thrower, and he's six foot four, and he could press well over 275 pounds, and he could tear me apart. And in that wrestling match, in that camp that I was telling you about, suddenly became real, and I realized I couldn't win. I told you about a great champion that was sitting in the front row, Ray Carlson, that could beat up my friend with his hands tied behind his back. I told you about how my friend that night just sat there and never did anything. But in Romans chapter 8, we find out that that in the struggle war spiritually, our great champion doesn't sit there. He sends his very spirit to live inside of you. And that's why I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. 
In Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up a theme that he began to develop in chapter 7, verse 6. We'll look at Romans chapter 7, verse 6 to kind of get into the flow of where we're going this morning. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, and like what he often does in the book, he likes to give you a little theme, get you to think about it a little bit, and then he goes on and develops some other thoughts, and then he comes back to it. And chapter 8 is going to pick up on a thought that he has in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Look what he says there. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we now serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the Apostle Paul just throws out this idea, there's going to be a new way of the Spirit. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit is the the subject, it's the theme of Romans chapter 8. And every one of you, if you've come to know Christ, we're going to learn from this chapter that the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. And you need to view the presence of the Holy Spirit as one of the greatest things that's ever happened to you. You need to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit in your life day by day. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is going to spell out how it's the Holy Spirit living inside of us that causes us to be free from condemnation. Let's look at uh, chapter 8 and let's pick up with verses 1 through 4 and talk about free from divine condemnation. How many of you ever hear a voice that says, God's done with you? Anybody ever hear that voice? How many of you ever hear a voice, you can't possibly be my child? I mean, I am just tired of you. You blow it every time, and I'm sick of working with you. I'm done. Anybody ever hear that voice? That's condemnation. Anybody hear a judge in their life saying you're a loser, you're lost, you're not going to ever make it? You know, Kim Lewis, even as a single guy, can make it, and he's sweet when he gives announcements. You'll never be like him. You'll never be able to pray like him. That's condemnation. Some of you as men in your families, you feel like, man, I could never be the godly person that my wife is. I mean, she knows Romans 5.8 as well as John 3.16. And I'm struggling with John 3.16, so I could never be the leader in my house. I could never get this Jesus thing together. Why even try? That's condemnation. That's condemning. You have the idea that God doesn't think you're measuring up, that God's going to flunk you. It's judging you. The word condemnation has the sense that there's a judge and the judge gavel has come against you and you are going to be disciplined and punished. The Apostle Paul begins this incredible passage by saying, therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear this morning. The key thing is, are you in Christ Jesus? What it means to be in Christ Jesus is that there's come a time where the living Jesus... I've spoken to your life. It might have been when you were three. It might have been when you were five. It might have been when you were 35. It might have been when you were 90. But what it means for Paul, Paul's one of Paul's favorite ways to describe what it means to be a, a person that has been forgiven by Jesus, has been delivered by Jesus, is that you're in Jesus. And he also liked to talk about Jesus being in you. And it's a way for the Apostle Paul to speak about Jesus taking up residence in your life and having an intimacy with you. The book of Romans is not about religion. It's not about learning a moral code. It's about having this incredible Jesus come to live inside of us. And we live inside of him. To be in him means that moment by moment you're joined with him. 
And that happened the moment you trusted him. We're going to learn that in just a minute. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, that if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're in the Messiah, Jesus, then there's no longer any condemnation from the Father in heaven, the ultimate judge of the universe. Amen? I want you to listen to that today. I want you to, like, like I talked to you about my dream when I wake up and realize, hey, I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. And I go, man, let's go eat an Egg McMuffin. This is great. Wow, I'm free. But I want you to wake up and realize, hey, I really have blown it before the righteous, holy God, but Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he watched me whiter than snow. And I want every one of you, my prayer this morning is that every single one of you would have that incredible joy and freedom that you'd have your heavenly daddy say to you, there's no condemnation. You're in Christ Jesus. And I use the phrase heavenly daddy because that's where we're going to end with in this passage. The apostle Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When someone makes a statement like that, I tend to ask the question, why not? Why am I not condemned before a righteous holy God? Why is no longer the wrath of God being constantly breathed out in this eternally destructive, holy, righteous, searing righteousness? How come I'm no longer facing that? And it says this, because, verse, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, Christ the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, the law of the Spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, Paul uses the law in the book of Romans in many different ways, often of the book of, of, of the Old Testament law, but here it's used of an authority, of a force that's in your life, of an, a principle that's in your life. And so what he's saying is because through Christ, the authority of the spirit of life, you might even say the sphere of influence of the spirit of life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And here's the contrast. Those that are outside of Jesus, the authority they're under, the principle that they're living under is a law of sin. What that means is that without Christ, that it doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that you don't do all the bad things you can do. It doesn't mean that you're as bad as you might be. But what it means is that at the core of your being, You don't live the kind of a life that God wants you to live. Your identity wants to rebel against God. Your identity is going to throw them off. That's why, like, I joked, I talked to you about my friend that was inconsistent with the moral majority. The idea of a moral majority is just a misnomer. There isn't a moral majority. Now, there is a majority that wants to do the right thing because we have a conscience. We learned that in Romans chapter 2. There is a majority, not just in America, but throughout the world, that knows what's right. And with their mouth, they will try to live what's right. And they'll speak what's right. And with their, and with their life, they will. They just don't do it. Because there's another part underneath that that curses God and hates God and will totally trash God and will develop a whole educational system that you don't even have God. Why do we do that? Because the heart without Jesus is that enmity we're going to learn in this passage against God. And I want you to realize that the Bible is really honest about that. There is the law of sin. And the law of sin means that outside of Jesus, I can't make it. 
I, it's not like one person's kind of a good person and they can make it. This is really a cruddy person they can't. And, and, or that the educational system isn't right or the ghetto is what produces badness. I have friends that live in the ghetto that are holy, righteous, and good. They make people living in the most beautiful suburbs look like horrible people. I have buddies living in the ghetto, like whole churches that live in the ghetto that do incredible, holy, righteous thing. Mary and I, we spent a Saturday night at a, at a ghetto church where a dear friend of ours pastors, and from table to table after table, ghetto people were talking about all the incredible things they did. Things like after their kids were shot, they went out in the street and proclaimed to the whole city of Chicago, we forgive those that shot our child in our church. We call out to you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. We cry out to you to stop this violence. That's pretty good, I would say, wouldn't you? And they live in halls, terrible places, dangerous places. Environment doesn't change us. So the Apostle Paul is saying that there's a law of sin and death, but he's also describing what I just described to you, that there's also the law of life. There's a law of the Spirit. And so as I talk to you this morning, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, then as you think about your inside, there's a principle, there's an authority, and it's the personal Holy Spirit inside of you, and that Spirit is giving you life. It gives you desire. It gives you a a tremendous power to want to please God. The law of the Spirit of life has set us free. Contrary to what you believe outside of Jesus is what the Apostle Paul described in the book of Romans. This is the ultimate freedom. You're the ones that are really free. You're the ones that have now been liberated from bondage. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. Then he goes on and explains that a little bit further. He loves to just hype and expl- uh, you know, put one explanation onto another. Look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do. It's really important to understand. The Apostle Paul says that the, that the law, the Mosaic law, which is the divinely revealed law, The law of our conscience, which has input from the eternal God of the universe, so that there are standards of morality that you can argue from that all of us buy into. It says that that law is powerless to do in that it was weakened by our sinful nature. What it's saying is this, not that the law of Moses is bad, not that your internal understanding of don't steal, don't lie is bad, We learn in the book of Romans that the law of God is righteous and holy and good. But what it's not good at doing is saving us. And that's what he says this. It says, for what the law was powerless to do, and it was powerless to set us free because it was weakened by our sinful nature. Just to paraphrase what the Apostle Paul is saying is, if you think you're going to beat sin by a moral external standard, Paul is saying you're wrong. Let me give you an example. If you got a teenager that turns 18 and they rebel against you and they're prone to get drunk on the weekends and you can't control them and you say you're going to join the Marines because we're going to lock you in the Marines. So we're going to send you to Paris Island and you're going to do push-ups. Man, you're going to do push-ups until you're just blue in the face and you're going to lift weights and you're going to do all this stuff and your son's going to come back. Your son will come back a year later with a short haircut with a beautiful, weird kind of a combination of some color on top and a weird color on the bottom that I never quite, I think it looks gorgeous together, but I, I don't understand where the Marines got it. And man, he'll walk into church and all the girls will go, whoo, look at that Marine. 
There's nothing like a Marine that comes in with his really sharp uniform on. But I got news for you. On the outside, his hair's short. His uniform's really sharp. But I guarantee you on leave, if he's still relying upon his own strength, he'll go with his buddies and get drunk at the skunk. How many of you in the military obeyed all the laws of your military regiment until you're on leave and then you drank way too much? All of you that have ever done that, raise your hand. Confession time. You're, you prove Paul's point. As a Bible church, what I want you to realize with all my heart is the apostle Paul, when the dominant method he's telling you is, I don't care if it's Jewish law. I don't care if it's Bible church law. I don't care if it's Mormon law. I don't care if it's Islamic law. I don't care whatever law you think you're under. It will not set you free from sin. And you got to nail that down. In fact, some of the worst things I've done have been done because a religious person thinks they're really holy and thinks they've really been transformed. They think they're really right with God and they're doing horrible, destructive, eternally damning things because they won't listen. The Apostle Paul says that the law is powerless to set us free. But the good news we learn in the book of Romans, but God isn't powerless, amen? What the law could never do no vote's going to be able to do it. No behavior program's going to do it. God did it. And how did he do it? He sent. Makes me want to cry. He sent his only son. His own son. He sent his own son. And Jesus came in the likeness of sinful man. The idea here is that Jesus, the idea of likeness means that, it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't just like this. And there's a lot of debate over Jesus' humanity and whether or not he could have sinned or not. The emphasis and idea, it was our sinful human side, our propensity to want to do evil that needed to be redeemed. And the idea of this verse is that Jesus, who was God, didn't stop being God, but he took, also added to himself, like Philippians chapter 3 tells us, he added to himself our humanity. And there's a very real sense in which the, the, the Apostle Paul for sure isn't saying, well, Jesus wasn't really fully a man. And he didn't really face all that you faced. One of the things this verse is saying is that Jesus was a human being just like every one of us in this room. So when you pray to Jesus, when you talk to Jesus, Jesus had all the temptations that we have. Jesus had all the, the tendencies towards physical weakness. Superman is not what Jesus was like. Like, Jesus wasn't somebody from Krypton who on the outside was just a normal human being that needed eyeglasses, but he didn't really need them. Jesus really needed eyeglasses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus really got thirsty at the pool of, when he went to the pool in Samaria, and the Samaritan woman gave him a drink. Jesus really became thirsty like we do. That's what Paul wants you to understand. And Jesus did that. He became just like us. But Paul also guards that he's not like us in our sin. Does that make sense? What Paul's guarding is that he's just like us in our humanity. But Jesus, unlike us, won the battle against the sinful side. He wins every time. But he fully experiences, as you study the gospel, it's not like the Superman story or like tons of the superhero stories that you see. It's a story of a real human being. In fact, Jesus doesn't use his supernatural power to defeat the evil one like when he's tempted in the wilderness. 
Like he doesn't float off the pinnacle of the temple and show everybody that he can fly. You can't fly, so Jesus didn't fly in his humanity. Does that make sense? Very important to understand that because the Savior that's going to give us strength, that lives in our lives by the Spirit's power, is, is someone that you can talk to that's been where you are. He's walked where you walk. He experiences what you experience. That's what it means that in the lightness of sinful nature, he became a sin offering. And the idea is that Jesus came for sin. There's a debate in this passage, like the phrase that's used here is a phrase that you often use in the Old Testament in the Greek translation for a sin offering. What the text literally says here is that Jesus came for sin. So part of the idea would be that what I've been talking about, we've got a big problem. We can't overcome our internal sin. Jesus took upon himself our humanity. And he came because of our sin problem. He came for sin. I think Paul also, because of what we learned in the book of uh, you know, Romans chapter uh, 5, Romans chapter 6, Paul really does present Jesus as God's sin offering. And so the idea that the way that Jesus came for our sin is that he lived his life and showed us how to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so him living inside of us can help us to do it. But also on the cross, Jesus took all of the suffering and all the condemnation, all the wrath from God that should be poured out against us because of our sin. Jesus was that sin offering. And that's in this verse as well. Jesus came for sin. He was a sin offering. Jesus condemned. God did by sending his son in the light of sin one to be a sin offering. And by being that one that dealt with sin, by being that one that condemned sin through the sin offering, he condemned sin and sinful man. Now, this is really important. If you've really come to know Christ as your Savior, then you join Jesus in the idea that sin needs to be condemned. If you've really come to know Jesus and you really believe in that old rugged cross, then you don't rejoice in sinful habits anymore. You don't rejoice in sinful passions anymore. In other words, you don't say, well, Jesus took all the penalty from me. Everything is fine. Now I can sin gloriously. Now I can go out there and really have a good time. That person's really never come to know Jesus intimately because If you really come to the cross, then you realize that Jesus on the cross condemned sin in the flesh. He took the condemnation that we deserved, and he condemned the sin in our sinful man in order. Now, here's the purpose of our salvation. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. He's talking about two groups of people. One group of people lives according to the sinful nature. There's another group of people that have been joined with Jesus on the cross. They've been joined with Christ in the power of his resurrection. And they have received, and what it means that the righteous requirements of the law have been met in us, there's a lot of debate about this. I don't think it means, like if I were to ask you, those of you that have come to know the Lord Jesus, have you in your practical everyday Christian life fully met the requirements of God's moral law? None of you have. So if that's what Paul means, then we've got a big problem. What the Apostle Paul wants you to always keep your your eyes on is I always fulfill the righteous requirements of the law by my union with Christ. One of the things I want you to learn about there's no condemnation, it's what I started out with today, to those that are in Christ Jesus. 
in union with Christ, I want you to know you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And the way you do it is what we, we call, a fancy word for it, imputed righteousness or transferred righteousness. And the idea is like 1 Corinthians presents it like this. He who knew no sin, who totally beat the evil one throughout his whole human life, on the cross of Calvary became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Paul's expression here that you might fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The essence of that is that you would love God with all your heart, that you would love your neighbor as yourself, that you fulfill God's intent of his moral law. And what it's saying is that when you're joined with Christ, you fulfill those righteous requirements because your true identity is now in Christ. And as you're intimately related to Christ... You, because of Jesus, not because of yourself, were never independent from Jesus and Paul. When we live in Jesus, then the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. And that leads us this morning to praise Jesus, to thank him, to love him. Now we're going to develop those points. He says, and so he condemned sin and simple man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And here's the key. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature, and I believe, I I could paraphrase it, those that are unbelievers, this isn't a Christian. Those who live according to the sinful nature are unbelievers. They set their minds on what that nature desires. So your unbelieving friends in their internal man don't love the word of God. They don't love to pray. They don't love Jesus. They love, you know, partying. They love living for their career. They love having a good time. They, they live for their own. They think they control their life. They think that God is completely absent. I could go on and on and on. And they curse God when things go wrong. That's our unbelieving side. Those who live according to the simple nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. But there's another group of people. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit, they have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Now, the mind of the sinful nature is death. One of the things I want you to realize, this is really important. Those that live away from God just for now, controlling their own life, you're in a world of death. Your unbelieving friends are in a world of death. Those of us that know Christ are still living on this side of eternity, so we're in a world of death as well. Because those living according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires Those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires, and the mindset on the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. What he's saying is this. As you think about the book of Romans, Romans chapter 118 through 322, there's a whole group of us, religious people and pagan Gentile people, that our minds are controlled by the laws of sin and death. Every one of us, like in your physical body, every one of us are dying. That is an outward manifestation of the fact that in your inner person, like Lohan, the actress right now, Entertainment Tonight, before you can get Channel 8 turned off, Cindy Lohan, they're blasting her picture over. She just got out of rehab, and she's partying again. Why does she do that? Now, you as mom and dad shake your head, and you yell at your teenager, I just can't believe it. She's such an idiot. She's such a fool. She's just acting out what the law of sin and death do. 
Like, is it really a safe thing at 1 o'clock in the morning to be plastered drunk and to be driving down major highways in L.A. exceeding the speed limit? How many of you think that's a really safe way to live? What could easily happen to you if you do that? You could die. So there's a blatant illustration. I challenge you, take every single sin that people do, that take your besetting weakness, and then just extrapolate it out, and you're going to find out it makes you die. For example, like you're 35, your husband's turned ugly, you haven't quite turned ugly yet. So you're 35, you look like you're 25, so you have an affair with a 25-year-old because you're alive. You had a complete makeover, you look like you're 25 still, so you throw off your traditional relationship and you start out with a 25-year-old. And for everybody clap, everybody applauds, it looks like you're going to live forever. What happens when you're 50? What happens when your neck looks like a chicken? <laughs> and your, your facelift in your eyes slides? How many of you saw Tammy Faye when she had cancer? And Tammy Faye, I pray, knew Jesus. She made it, obviously made a strong confession of faith, lived a really weird life. But Tammy Faye looked a lot different. And what I want to share with you, there's not one of you in this room that can escape the ravages of cancer. I don't care if you look like Brad Pitt. And that's the truth. And that's what Paul means, that the laws of sin and death are going to get all of us. But the Apostle Paul says there's a way of escape. There's a spirit through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit can come inside of you, and though your body is deteriorating because of sin, there's an inner person that's growing more and more like Jesus, and it's becoming more and more changed and transformed. And ultimately, that new personality will go walking right into eternity. And I close with, in this text, the Apostle Paul says, how many of you are a little bit upset about the changes taking place in your body. Anybody upset about that? Tim Wallace is still running 30 miles at a pop. Not really that long, I'm exaggerating. But you know what's going to happen? There's going to come a day, it happened to me. When I was Tim's age, I ran five miles every single day. In fact, I even ran with Liz and Tim one day. I tried to lift a desk one day for Mary with Dale not and thought I was as big and strong as him, and I'm not. And up right in my back, I went <laughs> like this, and it's not right yet. I got up this morning. Have you, anybody, any of you get up out of bed <laughs> and you walk around like this? Now, I'm short, but I'm really short when I'm like this. What's happening? Romans is telling me I've got a physical body that's still subject to the laws of sin and death. And it's getting weaker, and it's crazy to live for that. But the good news is if you have Jesus in your life, if the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you, look what it says, and we'll close with this. It says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If indeed God's Spirit lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if the Messiah, Jesus, is in you, now get this, if the Messiah. How many of you know that the Messiah is inside of you? Now listen to me, because if you get a hold of what I'm going to say, this says, 
you that have the Messiah in you, your body is dead. Any, anybody say amen? You young ones don't think it's dead yet, but it's on the way. And the body is used of your physical body. Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now get this. And if the spirit of Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead, if the spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. Now this is incredible good news. He who raised the Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to go out of here. Tim and I in heaven and Liz as well, we're going to be able to run and never stop if we don't want to. The acid's not going to build up in our bloodstream because I don't know what kind of blood we're going to have. I really think it's another dimension. I have no idea what your new glorified body is. But brothers and sisters, your pastor teacher, if you're 25 and you found out that you're sick, it's going to be okay. God hates the sickness. And we're going to pray like crazy that the Lord will make you well. But you might not get well. But what I just read to you, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, then though your body becomes weak and it becomes weaker, and then it even passes into physical death, based on the resurrection of Jesus, Paul just told you, one day God's going to take even your physical body and he's going to transform it. And you're going to live forever. And Brad Pitt, if he doesn't know Jesus, is going to left far behind. I want you to really believe that. To make it really practical, in our culture, like some of you have had complete makeovers. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because the Lord wants you to take care of your body. But I've dealt with people in counseling who had really complete makeovers. And to be honest with you, the record's not too good. Because people that suddenly thought they were young again started leaving old relationships behind. And they stopped living in the flow of life. And they started feeling, I never felt this good in my life. I never felt this attractive in my life. I never felt like I was so beautiful in this life. And all Satan did was drive a really evil, seductive, bad person in their life. And precious relationships are gone. Now, why did that happen? Because you live in a culture that says this life is all you got. This body is all you got. These good times are all you got. And if you live for that, Satan's going to shortchange you because all this life's got is the law of sin and death. The book of Romans is telling you there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to be a group of people that live this week the great times, the freedom, the life, the beauty, the joy, the satisfaction, it's only just begun. How many of you, sometimes when you're with a group of believers, you just feel like, wow, I just, it's so good. Just something deep in your heart says, this is really to be close to people that love me. That is just incredible. Anybody ever feel that? That's a little tiny touch of what you're going to experience forever and ever and ever. Anybody ever been in a situation where you hear just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music? You just well up with joy and you feel like, you know, that's just so incredibly beautiful. 
the best times we have of heavenly reality here below are just foretaste, a taste of what we're going to have forever. And the really neat thing is that you leave here, you can be all by yourself. It can be at night. You leave your house after a good supper. You walk out and you just walk down the street. And your heavenly daddy says, you're not condemned. Some of you are raised with a performance-oriented, condemning father. Because you heard me speak today, you're going to say, no. My real daddy, the Holy Spirit lets me call him Baba. And in the first century, sure, Abba was like father. It could be a term of great respect. But on the streets of Jerusalem, little kids still cried out in Jesus' day, Baba, how do I know that? My granddaughters, when they come here in a few weeks, and Jonathan is the back and Leela's up here with me, or Nora's up here with me, you're going to hear little Nora and Leela yell out, Baba! In fact, I heard it in the middle of the night when Leela woke up when I was sleeping in the room, scared the snot out of me. And Jonathan came running in and took Leela in his arms, and she says, Baba, that's what you have with the eternal God of the universe. And as you call him your daddy in heaven, based upon the work of his son on the cross, based upon the power of the resurrection, as you rejoice in that new identity, the real new eternal you, as you allow the Holy Spirit to fuel that new person that Jesus has made you, you'll be set free from the laws of sin and death in the way that we live this week. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.